Love in Paradise is Dr. Joel Hunter's sermon series, and the third message is entitled, Not Love Alone. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen the second chapter of Genesis, verses 18 through 25, as a scripture text, and it reads as follows. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and then brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. And now let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Not Love Alone. Well, for those of you who have uh, been with us for the last several weeks, you know that um, we have been just deeply involved in the life of Eric Zweikidneys. Um, for those of you who have not been with us, we apologize because we've been in a soap opera for the last several weeks. Um, actually, maybe it's those of you who have been here that I should apologize to. For as you know, we're taking our turn at poking fun of the way the world looks at relationships. And that is actually what has led us to this point in the days of our lives. Like smog clouding the horizon. Like sand through the egg timer. Like that annoying thing flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR. So flash the days of our lives. Since last week's episode, Jessica has fallen into a coma, Eric has gone on a silent retreat, and Tiffany has changed her hairstyle. Eric has also decided it's time for a relationship, and we join him now, having coffee with Tiffany at Denny's. You know, Tiffany, I really have to tell you that silent retreat was something. Wow! What do you talk about on a silent retreat? Well, you don't. You see, that's the beauty of it. No words. Oh, I get it. Sign language. <laughs> no, you don't communicate with people. 
Well, I try. No, that's not what I mean. Tiffany, I, I don't think this is working out. Hello, welcome to Denny's. I'm Chad. I'll be your waiter this afternoon. Oh. I'm Eric's Five Kidneys. It's German. It means two good kidneys. Yeah, yeah. Ich will dich gratulieren an deine Gesundheit. Ich bin Chad Drei Kidneys. Vielleicht sind wir verwandt, huh? Yeah, whatever. Vergnügen. And uh, you are? My date. Anyway, Tiffany. I just don't think that you and I are right for each other. Don't get me wrong, it's not that I haven't enjoyed seeing you, and Cecilia, and Janie. It's just that I don't think that any of you are right for me, and that's what we're talking about here. Me. Uh, would you like coffee? Oh, I'd love to. Tiffany? This whole relationship thing is just so complicated. I can't think of anything more annoying except perhaps a date with Jessica. So why do I keep thinking about her anyway? Thank goodness she's in that coma. Hello, Eric. Actually, it's pronounced Jessica. But... You, your kidneys. I thought you were in a coma. I am. Come again? I am in a coma, Eric. This is a dream you're having. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have come to tell you something of great importance. Yes? That tie has got to go. <laughs> Even in my dreams, you are consistently the most obnoxious person in my life. Eric, what are you doing? Trying to wake myself up before you turn this into a nightmare. Get a grip, Eric. I have come to tell you that... Ah! I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Oh! Jessica? Oh, Eric! Let me help you! Eric! Jessica! Eric! Oh! What can I do? She's dying. What? Eric! No, Jessica! Eric. Her left kidney is failing now. No! Jessica! Eric! I love you! Yeah, I, I, I said it. The L word. But it's true, Jessica. I haven't been able to stop thinking about you and how honest you are with me. Why, you make me behave in an almost acceptable way. The Lord has revealed to me that it's you I've been running away from. Our relationship. Our future. Oh, Eric. Ah! What future? Will Eric's dream turn out to be reality? Will Jessica live? Will Tiffany and the waiter be able to afford enough hair products to support their relationship? Will Susan's Siamese twin be found guilty of embezzling those pork products? 
Who is Susan, anyway? Join us next week for more questions about the days of our lives. Well, isn't it funny <clears throat> what relationships end up meaning a great deal to us? That's what we're talking about this morning. That's the point we're trying to make. Relationships we would never, um, we would never predict to make uh, a very much of an impact on our lives very often make a significant impact on our lives. Now, if you will turn to the second chapter of Genesis, we will proceed with understanding why God made us for relationships. You remember that the first week we talked about the ontology of this, um, this phenomena. Ontology is the study of being, and we said that because God is both singular and plural at once, according to orthodoxy, that he made us to reflect who he is in our nature, to be who he is, to be fit for both singularity and pluralism, to be both singular and plural at once, to have that capability, which means that we are made to be related. Secondly, last week we talked about epistemology. That is how we know what we know. It's the study of knowledge, and God through his wisdom, chose to not only make us so that we could receive from him directly, i.e. through revelation, but he also made the world so that we would come to know him indirectly as well, uh, both through creation, Romans 1.20, and, and, and through relationships, through loving, we could come to know who he is, 1 John 4.20. If you haven't loved your brother who you have seen, how can you love God who you haven't seen? So God has created us both to reflect who he is and how to come to know him through relationships. Now, this Sunday we have one more ology to go over, and it is ecology. It has to do with the broadness of how we see God and the broadness of how we love. Because there's only one way to, God, to, to love God like he loves, and that is a very, in a very broad fashion. Now, if you will turn in your scriptures to the scripture text, let me just read a couple of verses to begin. Genesis 2, chapter 8, or verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I want you to see in this that the man who has everything uh, in order before God, he can work. He can, he can grow intellectually, he can be good, and he has a direct relationship with God. God still says it's not good. There's something else. And so I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, the very next sentence says, God says, I have a goal for him. And it is a helper suitable for him. There's a purpose now. But he doesn't go directly toward that purpose. Look at what, it's, look at what happens. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. First point. We are very goal-oriented people. 
We are very focused people. But God wants to make this point. That in order for us to love in a maximum way, in order for us to be best at our most important relationships, we also have to be good at those relationships we don't deem so important. Because it's the way he's made the world. We become better at loving in the highest. And remember, all relationships are apprenticeships toward God. That's why he gives us you serve our apprenticeship. If we can love one another, we can love him. So all relationships are apprenticeships toward God. But there is a hierarchy. Some are more important to us. Some are less important to us. But all of them are important to God. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of this. And and, and, um, these are what I run into all the time. First of all, um, when people come in and they want to get married uh, to a pastor, I mean, mean, come in... Uh, it's been a long day already. When people come into a pastor and they want to get married, usually this is what we see. I mean, they're drooling, they're looking at each other, you know, they're not answering the questions, you know. We love seeing that. We think that's the greatest thing in the whole world. Romantic love is great. We love to see people crazy enough to love with one another. But there's a danger point. The danger point is that this stage of love, these two individuals sincerely believe that all of their needs for love can be taken care of by the other person. Now, that puts an insurmountable pressure on that relationship to be very good and very adequate. And no relationship can really withstand that kind of pressure. Why? Because God made us to love other people as well. One of the things that's important for all of you who are going to get married to realize is this that the better relationships you have outside that marriage, the more you have to bring to the marriage in order, or in, in the way of being able to love. If you're a good friend, you'll be a better wife. If you're a good business partner, you'll be a better husband. If you are um, good at uh, even having relationships with animals, even loving your dog, can anybody imagine... A guy coming home and kicking his dog, but being a good husband. Can you imagine coming and, and saying, get away to the cat, but being a good father? No. Why? Because it is in those less important relationships, as we deem them, that we are trained to love in the greater relationships. Some of you singles really believe that someday God will give you a relationship that is worth all of your attention. And you are biding your time until that relationship comes. Could I say to you, you are missing the major portion of life. If God brings you that relationship, you will be much more fit for that relationship because you have been good with the relationships He's already given you now. You are in training. And the relationships that you don't think will mean a great deal to you later on, really will. The ones that you discount now as being superficial or not meaning very much are some of the very ones that God will bring up to you later on 
that says, you know, if you hadn't had that relationship, you would miss a major portion of your encouragement and way of loving right now. When I was in seminary, I spent a the first semester very discouraged, very discouraged. I was not, I was not the religious type. Had never been the religious type. Thought, what in the world am I doing in seminary? If I if I not heard this right, you know, everybody else know, knew about churchiologies and you know how to talk the Christian lingo. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so here I was, lost. I was I was a, a, a oh, I was saved at the time, but I mean I was lost as far as relationships go. And I was in this new church, and I hadn't built any relationships there yet, and, and uh, you know, hadn't met my wife yet, had, didn't have any real good friends uh, uh, to hang out with very often. And, and so here I, I remember this first Thanksgiving. Here I am sitting in front of the television set. The dorm is empty. Everybody's gone out, you know, to be with families or their churches or whatever. And here I am eating a turkey TV dinner in front of the television set going, Oh, man, I am so lonely. This is so bad. The next day, you know, as I'm going over, you know, I must have heard this call wrong. Next day, I got a letter from, of all all the people, our church custodian from my home church. Now, you had to know this couple. They were a very, very poor couple. And they seemed very out of place going to First Methodist Church, where my grandmother went. Because First Methodist is where the bank presidents were and the ladies wore fruit on their hats. And it was a very, (laughs) very dressy place, see? But there was this elderly couple who, who were poor and didn't fit in, didn't know all the manners, but they just loved God. And they kept that church just spick and span so the next day, I got this letter from this old church custodian. I didn't even know no, he knew me. And it had $5 in it. $5. Now, $5 back then still wasn't very much money. So it wasn't the money that made me happy. It was way more than he could afford to send me. I know it. A little note, and he said, Joey, I think you're going to be a good minister someday. I tell you what, that kept me in seminary. Right now, if the church custodian believes in you, then maybe you got something going for you. You know? Now, that was one of those relationships you just think, well, that'll never... You know, that's one of those lesser relationships. But it was absolutely important. And they would do that periodically. It seemed like when I was down, I'd get a letter from the church custodian and his wife. And a little note, we're praying for you. I mean, they kept me in seminary till I got some of those... Relationships I, I really thought were important, but those were the important relationships. Those, those relationships with the people that broadened my heart and taught me how God looks out for us in all kinds of relationships. So therefore, don't just focus on one relationship, on your way to learn how to love. God prepared Adam for Eve by helping him spend time looking at animals. And if I were Adam, I would be very frustrated, and Adam was, that's our next point. But Adam said, in order to be a fit husband, you've got to learn how to love and be connected in lesser ways. Because it's through those lesser ways that I will make you a good husband. And it's through those lesser ways that I will make you a good servant. Because remember, being a husband or a wife, if that is your ultimate in your journey of life, is simply preparation to love the Lord better. Now, 
Let's go to the second point. The second point is this. If you will turn in that, to that scripture with me. second point is this. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, let's talk for a minute, for a moment about the frustration of loving in inadequate ways. Because we all want relationships, don't we? That love like we need to be loved. And we all want relationships whereby we can love fully and other people can be fully satisfied. But what we experience in this world, if we're really honest, is that the relationships we get, we don't get quite the kind of love we need and we don't give quite the kind of love we want. Why, then, is there that element of failure? Why is there that element of frustration? Do you sense the disappointment in Adam? There was not found a helper suitable for him. Adam had this capacity that was not being filled. In German, since we're talking German, it's called Mitsein, the being with quality. And so Adam was disappointed, and there was a sour note even though the relationships with the animals were, did provide some companionship and provide some intellectual growth, growth, it still wasn't what he needed. Why does God make us go through all of these relationships? Yet there is still an element of failure. Why, even in the most important relationships we have, is there an element of frustration and failure? Because being a great person and loving greatly does not come with a position or a skill. It comes with overcoming obstacles. The more obstacles you've overcome, the better you've loved. Listen to that now. It's very important. You see, when we face people that we don't necessarily need to love, when we face relationships that aren't tremendously rewarding, on, those, on our way to those relationships we do think are tremendously rewarding, we face a test that God has put there on purpose. And the test is this. Will you avoid those people to concentrate on just a narrow group of people or will you include those people? That's the test. Now, turn to the fifth chapter of Matthew with me, and let me show you something. The test is that God is trying to build into our character His nature and the way He loves. Look at verse 45. Jesus is talking about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Now, most of us won't admit we have enemies, even though we do. So, put in there, instead of loving your enemies, loving those who frustrate you. Loving those who you have trouble loving. Now, look at what it says. It says, In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, in scriptural terms, anytime you're, you're called a son of somebody, it means you've got qualities like them. It means that when 
somebody looks at you, they'll say, ah, he's like his dad. He's like his father. I can see the same qualities. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes... Look at the, the character of God's love. Look how wide it is. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? If you greet your brothers only... What do you do more than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect. And the word here in Greek is teleos. It means mature, complete. In other words, you are to be as inclusive, as comprehensive as God is. You are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. You know what God's trying to do when He gives us relationships that aren't what we want to focus on? and aren't really ultimately what we're made to spend most of our time on. But yet, they are there, and we need to spend some time and some attention and give some of ourselves to them. What's he trying to do? He's trying to create in us a heart that's broad enough that it can love fully in a narrow way, because those two go together. It's not until you love broadly that you can fully love narrowly. It is not unless you can include many people that you can really love one person. Most Americans don't know that fact. And so when they love one person, they become very frustrated because their heart isn't broad enough. It's not wide enough. It hasn't had enough experience. It hasn't enough balance. Let me give you a little example. We are turning people away from worship. Now, What's the first thought you have when you're turning people away from worship? This is several worship services. What's the first thought you have when you're turning people away from worship? The first thought we could have as a congregation is they got to get faster cars. You know, they got to. I mean, you know that's how it is. It's, you got, you know, elbow. Have people save your seat. Work it out. There's lots of other. There's lots of other churches in the area. There's lots of other services at this church. I'm go to one of those services. You know, and so on and so forth. Now, there's, there's some substance to thinking. You know what? We haven't even learned to love each other yet. And we're wanting to open up this church to all these people. That just delays the process. There's a very well-known church, very well-known pastor in the West that, as a matter of fact, did shut their church down to church growth. They said, this is how it's going to be. And so every Sunday for... In the past years, they've, sh- they've shut their doors when they got enough people. And people who are running for those doors, the doors are locked. They can't get in. They can't get in. If I told you the name of this pastor, you'd know it immediately. But you know, something happened to the heart of that church when they did that. Let me rearrange our thinking. Most people think that if I love in my very close relationships well enough, I will be able to love other people as well. According to Scripture, it works just the opposite. If you love other people, you'll be able to love those important to you better. If I'm concerned about the people who can't get in here, who I don't even know, if I look at my wife and say, as I did this week, Beck, I want you to write all the the money money you can to, to expand this sanctuary. 
And usually she's the first one that does that. I don't, I don't have to usually tell her that. She's usually written it before I've even gotten there. Where'd the money go? I gave it away. She's got that kind of heart. But I looked at her and I said, I want you to do this. Now, please, this isn't a building fund advertisement. This, is, this hasn't got anything to do with a building. It's got everything to do with our heart. When I looked at her and I said that to her, it wasn't about a big church. It was about loving her better. Because you see, if God's given me a heart for them, how much better and how much more focused and how much more can I bring to her? If I love them, I can love her better. You understand? It makes me a better husband. It makes me a better friend. It's about the character of a church. So when you're frustrated in your relationships, understand that God is wanting to stretch your heart. Not just so that you will love them, but so that you will love those whom He has given to you much more adequately. Booker T. Washington said this, Greatness is not measured in position, it's measured in the overcoming of barriers. Love is not made by proximity. Love is made by the overcoming of barriers in loving all people because all people are important. And when you can't love well enough, watch this, listen to this, it makes your love even better. I watched an R-rated movie this week. This is my, this is my uh, confessional here. And I usually would never watch an R-rated movie, but Schindler's List fascinated me. That I am... I was a history major and was fascinated with the Third Reich and I have a special place in my heart for the Jewish people. That Judaism is our mother religion. And I just have a special place in my heart. And so I had to go see this movie. It was absolutely awful. It was absolutely repugnant. It was absolutely wonderful. And absolutely deep. And if you haven't got a stomach, don't go. But if you do go, this is what you'll see. And I won't, I won't ruin it for you. But you will see a man who was absolutely crushed because he couldn't love enough. But it made his love all the more valuable that he was frustrated because he couldn't love more. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're frustrated because you can't love more, that's a good sign. God works with frustration. So don't be afraid of frustration. On the way to love. Now, sec- now, the third point is this. What we need to recognize, if we're going to see God in all things, and if we're going to praise Him a thousand ways instead of three, is this. That God has not made a mistake on His way to where we are right now. That God has seen fit to put together our lives in His own good time so that we would be more grateful for them. Isn't it a shame we're not more grateful for the lives we have? You see, this is the work of God. This is not a mistake. This is the work of God. Let me, let me finish up with these couple of verses here. Finish up the Scripture text. There was not found a helper suitable for him, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. I would have loved to have seen that. And brought her to the man. And the man said, Now I wish you could read this in Hebrew. I've seen several interpretations of this. And, and there's this startled quality. 
There's this immediate recognition quality. As, as a matter of fact, the first three words, this is now born of my bones, or the first sentence could be, could be phrased like, at last. He immediately recognized his corresponding one, which is Hebrew for help meet. The one who answers him. He immediately, and he was so glad. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Adam looked back and said, What took you so long, God? Why did I have to go through all of the animals and so on and so forth? Maybe he did. Maybe while he was going through the animals, on the way to those most important relationships he would have with his wife and his children and his Lord, maybe on the, most, on the way to the most important relationships he'd have with, with uh, um, the other uh, uh, developments of humanity while he was alive. Maybe he got frustrated with God, thinking God wasn't going to bring it at all. And that God had left him. And he just wasn't going to get it. But my hunch is that one day God allowed him to look back and say, God, now I know why you let me develop love in minor ways so that when my wife got here, I would be so glad for her. And when I had a chance to love fully, I already had been developed in the capacity to love. I'm glad. I'm glad. Let me ask you if you can say that today. Are you glad that God is developing your life like He is? What I'm asking for all of us is to recognize the ecology of how God puts together the whole world. Ecology is not just something about a spotted owl or the rainforest. Ecology is the study of how a living organism is related to all of the systems of life around him. And ecology is not something just for the New Agers. Ecology is a wonderful theological and philosophical concept. Because let me tell you something. God puts together our lives in ways of biodiversity. That is to say, we are a part of systems that are dependent on one another. We are part of a tender web of relationships that don't make sense until you go through them and you can look back and see how they've come out. That's why we're doing this soap opera spoof. Because it's so complicated and you don't know what's important and what's not. That's exactly like life. All of it's important. All of it makes sense on down the line. And what I'm asking you is to pay attention to all of the circumstances and all of the people in your life that you're attempted to avoid right now. And say to yourself, God, what are you working here? What are you teaching me? How are you preparing me for you? I know it's a huge responsibility. I know that you hardly have enough energy right now to love the people that he's given you that are right in your face, and it's obvious you ought to love. But I'm telling you that unless you love in little ways, you will not love very well in big ways. It's a huge responsibility, but it is your way to the future. Let me tell you one more story, and then then we're going to have this song. It's a love song. hope you don't mind. But it makes sense, and, and it says exactly what we want it to say. One time a biologist, biologist was watching a, uh, a little ant struggle with this huge piece of straw. Now, you've seen an ant before, haven't you? Remember when you were a kid and you watched ants and they just had gotten a load too big? 
And that was this end. Boy, I got this load on this straw and was bringing this thing along, you know, and stumbling all over the place. And, and it's a huge burden. But the ant, an ant comes to a crevice that's probably an inch and a half wide. And you know how they do. They run up and down one side of it, and there's no ramp way around this sucker. Well, the ant, just like it had a brain, laid that straw down over that crevice, crawled over the straw, picked up the straw, went on his way. Let me tell you something. You think the burden that you have to be reconciled to the, what God's done in your past, to, to love all of, of the circumstances that you're in and all of the people God's put around you, you think that's too big a burden? It's not a big burden. It's your bridge to the future. It's how you're going to get across. I know that some of us have regrets about our past. And I know that some of us need to ask forgiveness and some of us need to repent. All of us need to repent. What's the some of us business? All of us need to repent. But none of us ought to proceed in this life wanting God to retract anything He's done. Because He's never been out of control for a moment and He has us exactly where He wants us right now. So let's all learn to read what He's doing in the details. Pray with me. God... Thank you for giving us a challenge to trust you with the details of life and to look for you in the details of life and to love those folks that would stretch us in ways that we could love you better and love those you have given to us better. Father, there may be some people here today who want to be able to love like that, who want to see your purpose in their lives, but they just haven't been able to so far. But they want Jesus in their hearts so that he can guide them. They don't want to do it on their own anymore because they can't do it on their own, and they know that. There may be some people here that simply want the forgiveness for their sins so that they can start life with you new and fresh. God, if we have those folks here, tell them right now to open up their hearts and let Jesus inside. To confess that they're sinners to understand that Jesus has taken away their sins on the cross and that they can live with you forever and they can love like you from now on. And Father, for the rest of us who have prayed that prayer, God, we pray that you would help us to love in broader, more attentive ways so that our love for you can become richer and deeper than it's ever been. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.